We're going to be in Mark chapter 8, if you want to make your way there. I love those songs that just come right from the scriptures. Uh, I mean, I like all the songs, but when you're just singing the very words of God, it's pretty incredible. Uh, Mark chapter 8, we'll bring the lights up so you can see a little bit. Um, we're in a series going through the book of Mark a little bit at a time. And um, we kind of split it up in different parts of the year. But from now, and really until Advent, we're going to be just on a steady course. And we get to a, a point in the book of Mark that's it's a, it's a turning point for him. And so Mark's gospel, uh, Mark is the one who wrote it and, you know, compiled it, put it together. But Peter is, the, is his source. Uh, it's, they work together to write this. And so it's Peter's account of all these things that happen. And Mark's the one that, like, pieced, pieced it together. And we get to this point where as, as things turn toward... Uh, toward Jerusalem, toward the cross, toward a more intense and, and serious uh, part of Jesus' ministry, which is not to say the first part wasn't intense and serious, it's just different. Um, Mark has put this right in the middle of his book uh, to kind of show us something really significant. And so you might recall that, that right before this, Jesus has some pretty, pretty intense words for his disciples. Uh, they've been they've been with him for a long time now, uh, with him, you know, constantly watching everything that he does. They're hearing uh, everything that he has to say, and they're just not catching on. They're they're just not picking up on it, and he he just gets frustrated with them. Not sinfully frustrated, but but like passionately burdened for them. And he has some kind of some tough words for him. You might remember he's he's looking at him. He says things like. Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? Do you not remember? Why don't you understand? He, he just like really like kind of gives them the business a little bit, you know? And, and then he's like, all right, let's go. And then they go on to the next thing, which is where, they, where it picks up. And so this turning point is kind of after that, uh, that loving rebuke. And this is what happens. So we're in Mark, starting in verse 22. We're going to look at three sections that don't really seem to have a lot to do with each other, but actually they're, like, they're very much on purpose tied. Verse 22 says, They came to Bethsaida, so people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him home saying, do not even enter the village. All right, so let's stop right there. Now, this miracle is used by Mark to illustrate like something kind of greater, but I don't want us to just discard the, what, like, what happens here. This, like, like all of the goodness and the awe and wonder of a standard, like, Jesus miracle is, is all present here. He, he comes to show us what the kingdom of God looks like. That in the kingdom, uh, like, in God's world, you are not meant to be blind. That was not the, in, that was not the intention for his creation. Uh, sin has broken us holistically. 
Uh, he's broken our relationships. He's broken our, um, our, our self-identity. He's broken um, our relationship to creation. He's broken our relationships with, it, with each other. He's broken our relationship with him. He's, like, uh, sin has broken all of these things, including our physical bodies. Uh, this like cage that we're walking around in that is slowly wearing out is just not, it's not meant for us. And, uh, his physical blindness was the way for this man, the way that his physical brokenness manifested was in blindness for yours and mine. It's different things, but all of us, uh, like that's just what the scriptures teach us. That's why we get sick and grow older and eventually we'll all die is because we weren't meant to live like this. And so what Jesus does is he comes in and he says, look, um, all you know is physical brokenness. I'm going to show you what God intended for you in the first place. And so he, uh, again, we see a, another like miracle involving spit, which is kind of interesting, but not uncommon in the ancient world. Apparently like, uh, back then it was really normal to us. It's kind of weird, but to them, it's just, no, that's just kind of what they did. Um, and so he you know, like spits in, on, on the man's eyes, and it looks like at first Jesus, uh, like the miracle didn't take, you know, like he was like, "Do you see anything?" And the man's like, "Oh, it's kind of fuzzy." And he's like, "Oh no, uh, Mulligan, you know, let me let me have a do over here." And then the second time he's like, "Okay, okay, good." Um, but that's not that's not really what is going on here. Um, so I don't want to just like skip over the fact that Jesus is showing us, "Hey, God, God intends for you to see." God intends for you to be whole. Um, in God's kingdom, that, that is the way it will be forever, is all the brokenness that you experience now. He will set that right side up. Uh, he has come to restore all that brokenness. And, and so just because I'm not going to focus on that, I don't want us to like, think that that is not important here. It's incredibly important. But what Mark is also using this story to show us is that this man in his sight being restored in stages um, is significant. It isn't that Jesus didn't get it right the first time. It's that Jesus on purpose only like healed him partially. And then he went again to be clear. And so that blurriness to clear in stages, we're supposed to pay attention to that um, because of what happens after this. So let's look at the next part. Verse 27, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Now that's a, that's like 25 miles north. That's going out of is like Israel out of Jewish, uh, um, out of a Jewish area into a Gentile area into a place where, uh, there, there was just, there were idols like erected everywhere. Um, most recently one to, to the Roman Caesar. And so this was a place of great, like pagan, uh, idol worship is where he took them. And so he went a really long, like pretty long way by foot, uh, to a very pagan town to ask them this question right here. It says on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, um, others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. So Jesus knows that there are some 
opinions out there about him. You know, he's not he's not dumb. Um, and so he's asking them, like, so what are what's the what's the word? You know, what are what are people saying? Who, they, who do they think I am? And all these are good answers. Uh, John the Baptist was, you know, highly regarded in 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 the Jewish community, and there was a thought that like maybe he has been revived somehow. Maybe that's him. Um, I don't know if I really don't know if any sort of like reincarnation mythology was a part of it. I'm not sure, but um, he was so similar to John the Baptist. They were like, I think it might be him. You know, um, it's also considered that Elijah would would return. You know, Elijah's the one that just like got like carted off to heaven and never died. And, and so there's this like belief in, in like in the Jewish faith that Elijah will return at some point. Um, and so they're like, maybe that's him. Like maybe he's shown up. Like we always knew that he would come toward the end. Maybe he, maybe that's who it is. Um, and then other people said, you know, one of the prophets, uh, prophets were, um, they were highly regarded in the, in the past, not so much in the present, but Right, that'd be pretty cool if God sent us a prophet. It's been a, it's been a long time, you know, since we've heard from God uh, prophetically, and so um, they're trying to find some sort of logical explanation. Even the reincarnation or Elijah coming back is probably not that realistic, but they're trying to understand him somehow, and that was sort of like the reputation. But so Jesus, he's like, okay, that's fine, but um, but who do you, who do you guys think that I am? See, all the the public opinion really didn't matter because they. The pub, the general public was not who he was going to hand over the church to, you know, that's not, he was not training the masses. He's training the 12. Um, they would have the keys to the, to the church. They would, they would be the, the, the ones Peter would be the rock upon which the church would be built. Like there's, so this group, they needed to know who he was for real. And so he says, who do you think that I am? And so Peter steps up and is apparently a spokesman for the group and he says, you are the Christ. This is the first time that we see them recognize him for who he is. Like this is the, the first moment in Mark's gospel where this is even mentioned. I don't know if it was like the, the rebuke that he gave them and the whole like bread debacle. You know, if you might remember that. Like it got them talking and thinking or, or what. But something had them stirred up. And they got to the point, and, and this is kind of just this moment, this moment where they're like, you're, you're the one, aren't you? Like, you're him. This is a big moment in our story as God's people. Um, this is a turning point for them. They are, they're like the blind man. In his rebuke before them, he said, you, you have eyes, but why don't you see? And then this, they, this blind man comes to him, and, and his sight is restored in stages, right? They're starting to see him. Their like, spiritual eyes are being healed and being opened, and they recognize, oh, you're, you're not just a healer. You're not just another rabbi. You're not Elijah. You're not John the Baptist. You're not a prophet. You're, you're the one that they were pointing to. You're the one they've told us about. You're the one that we've been waiting for. And probably like the weight of this is lost on us a little bit because we are not first century Jews. If we were first century Jews and we were in this moment, 
this would probably be one full of tears. And this would be a very excited group of, of young men because they have been raised waiting on this figure that would emerge. That the, the prophecies that had, had pointed forward and said, one day God is going to send a redeemer to his people. And they had waited and they had waited and they had waited. And so for them to be there and to say, you're him. I've heard about you. My parents talked about you. My grandparents talked about you. We made pilgrimages, pilgrimages to Jerusalem, um, like singing the Psalms of Ascent. And one of the things that, that we were in, it was ingrained in us as we were little boys was the fact that one day Messiah would come and you're him. And we've been in your presence and we've been missing it this whole time, but we aren't missing it anymore. Our sight has, has been restored in stages. This would have, was a really big deal. Um, so are they... Uh, is, this, is this the blurred sight? Or is this the clear sight? So to go back to the blind man, he comes and, and the, the first time Jesus heals him, he says, I, I, I can see, but it's like men look like trees walking around. And he was in the second time, and then he's seeing clearly. So in this moment, for the disciples, are, are they seeing him in a blurry way? Or are they seeing him in a clear way? At first, it, it, you would think they're seeing him clearly. But the problem is that their understanding of Messiahship and Jesus's were very different. Which is why the next passage of Scripture is tied into this other group. So let's look at this next point. Verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. I want to read that again because look at what he sums up. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days, rise again. I mean, he's describing Monday, Thursday through Easter Sunday, right? He just lays it out for him. Verse 32, and he said this plainly. And you know how sometimes Jesus talks in code, you know? And it's like, I mean, I, I don't, I say this like, it's kind of frustrating sometimes, you know? He's like, man, just say it. And then you realize like what, what he's doing and why and all this kind of stuff. And he's like the best teacher ever. You're like, okay, I get it now. But, but at first you're like, man, I wish you would just get to the point. He gets to the point right here. The son of man must suffer, be rejected by all the leaders who will kill him. And on the third day be raised again. He said this plainly. No metaphors, no code, no sleight of hand, no teaching tactic, just very plain. And Peter, verse 32, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Awesome, right? But turning and seeing his disciples, he he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. 
So why does Peter react the way that he does? Well, Jesus completely took the wind out of their sails. So he says, who do you think I am? And they're like, uh, like Peter stands up as their spokesman and he's like, you're the Christ. We know it. We figured it out. They would have been jacked. Because to them, the Messiah was going to be this uh, powerful leader. He was going to be, there was going to be military and political like, as, like aspirations for this, uh, this leader. He was going to restore Israel to its former glory. Bring it back to like when, like when David was king and Israel was a big deal on the global scale. Um, he, the Messiah would, would basically lead a revolution to overthrow Rome and break free from their oppression. And once Rome was, was no longer their oppressor, then Israel would stand alone. The Messiah would be essentially the king of Israel again. And so in understanding the trajectory of the prophecies, and finally he's standing in front of you, they start to connect dots. And they're like, well, he's going to need a, he's going to need a VP, right? He's going to need a cabinet. He's going to need a, a, like all these leaders. And so they're thinking, we're going to be the the guy. We're going to be the cabinet. He's going to be the king and we're going to be his counsel. He's been training us. We, we get to sit at his right hand and his left hand. Like they're, they're, they're amped up. And so here they are thinking, this is the turning point for our nation. A revolution is about to break out and we get to be on the front lines. And then Jesus says, Hey, guess what? I'm going to suffer and die and then rise again. Now that would have, would have frustrated all of them, especially Peter, because he's kind of a hothead, you know. He's like, no, 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 the, the Messiah doesn't come, the Messiah doesn't, like the Messiah kills. The Messiah isn't killed. The Messiah hands out the judgment. The Messiah is not judged. The Messiah overturns the elders and the scribes and the Pharisees. He's not rejected by them and killed. You know who you know who all those things happen to? They happen to false messiahs. We've seen it over and over again. So don't you come in here telling us that that is the traje- that, that is the pathway for you because that's not that's not who the messiah is. And I'm like, "Man, I I'm so glad I'm not like that guy." You know. Aren't you glad that none of us are like Peter? Who when God is like, "Hey, I'm going to do this thing in this way," And he it doesn't meet our expectations. He doesn't do it in the way that we think that he should do it, a way that we would do it. And we start to push back against him. Like, aren't you glad that you never get upset with the Lord or think that you know better? Aren't you glad you never rebuke him? Maybe, you know, I mean, not with your words or, or with your actions or with your just defiance or rebellion or whatever. Aren't you glad that Peter is such a weirdo here? And nothing like any of us in this room. When I was reading that, I was like, man, who does he think he is? And very quickly, the Lord was like, well, uh, who do you think you are sometimes? It's a very human reaction when God is gonna, says, I'm going to do this thing in this way. And as long as he's doing what we like for him to do, it's, you know, it tends to be fine. But when God does not meet our expectations... What does that do to us? When he doesn't do what we want him to do, 
It's terrible, isn't it? Like, don't, don't you hate it when you push back against God? Like, you don't really want to, but you find yourself just mad sometimes. It's like, well, I don't care what, I don't care what the Bible says I should do in this situation. I don't care what the Word of God um, clearly lays out for me to do here. I don't care what uh, the Spirit is leading me to do. I don't, I, don't, I don't care about those things. It's a very normal human place to be where we kind of just feel like we'd know better. And that's part of what he tells him. It's like you're thinking like a man instead of thinking like God. And so a part of the lesson here is looking at at Peter and his rebuke of Jesus and seeing how we sometimes can step into that same pattern of saying, God, I don't think I don't think you're doing this the right way. I don't think you're doing a very good job. And I think that there's a there's a way for us to do that that's that's us just being honest, you know, like we're not being disrespectful, we're just we're sharing with God how we're feeling about something. I think there's a way to do that without being sinful, but man, it's easy to cross into that other one where we just where we push back and we rebel and we are rebuking him. We're not just sharing our honest feelings. We're saying, I think that you're bad at what you do. And sometimes our actions and our attitudes can communicate that to the Lord and to other people. So I think there's a little lesson in there from Peter to be learned. But here's, the, here's, here's a way maybe to look at it is that he, he wants the disciples to understand that he's the Messiah. He's like, yes, I'm the Messiah. But it's not going to go the way that, that you're expecting it's going to go way better than what you're expecting. Like you're expecting someone who will come in and, and free you from Roman oppression when what you need is someone to come in and free you from sin's oppression. So what you think you need is not what you need. In other words, what you want, I'm not going to give you. What you need, I'm giving you. You think you need someone to come and bring peace back to Israel, but you think that just means like an absence of conflict with surrounding nations and Rome and all that kind of stuff. But I'm going to bring peace in, in the real definition of it. Of I'm going to bring unity with God back to you instead of dissonance with God. Instead of Israel impacting the world with power and force, it's that the good news that the kingdom of God is available to all will we'll find its rootedness and its beginnings in the nation of Israel. And that promise made to Abraham that all the nations of the earth will be blessed, it was going to start with them. Because you, you, think you, know what, you think you know what this should look like, but you don't. Because you're thinking like men. And you need to recognize that from God's perspective, there's, there's a greater narrative happening here. There's a bigger story being written than what you think the Messiah should look like. And see, these guys had gotten, they had, had grown up in like this, like a little bit of truth about the Messiah, but all these like other like weird narratives had worked their way into it to where they were working with a polluted understanding of who he was going to be. If they had just used what the actual scripture said, this would have been a very different conversation. So what, what Jesus was having to do was, was like, if you take it from the perspective, like the parable of the sower, where the plant grows up and then there's, there's weeds and, and thorns that grow up around it. 
Jesus is going to have to like pull the weeds and the thorns out from around the goodness of this definition of a Messiah for them. He was going to have to to uproot all these political and military ideas, these these things of like what power is, and and that Rome was their real oppressor. And he was going to have to pull away everything so that the purity of of who the Messiah is that is in the scriptures it just got all twisted by man <clears throat> that the purity of that would remain. And that's why. When it's all said and done, after this has happened, after they have watched him suffer and be killed and raised from the dead, that's why they're looking at this pure version of it, and they've said, I will give my life to that. I will give everything for this. And so is this, the the disciples, are they seeing in a blurry way, or are they seeing in a clear way? I think they're seeing in a blurry way at this point. They're seeing him. They're like, you're the Christ. He's like, yeah, but, I, but not like you're expecting. I will be the Messiah that you need. Probably not going to be the Messiah that you want. And isn't that God's way with us so much of the time? He's, he may not be the God that we want. He may not be the God who does things, by that I mean that he does things the way that we want or expect or the way we think it should go but he's always doing it the way that we need. And as frustrating as that can be, how comforting is it to know that there's a bigger story being written around your life? That when it doesn't go the way you think it should go, um, it's because you, you just have limited perspective. It's like you're, you're a human. You're just not going to, you're not going to see the full picture so you're going to have to put faith in this, in this Messiah, faith in this, this omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good, holy, loving God who's always going to be what we need. And if you're in a place or a season or a situation or whatever where he's not doing what you think he should do, it's okay to be honest with him. Don't rebuke him. And look at what he, he, when he tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. All right, it's kind of harsh sounding at first. Uh, what he's doing, though, is he's, he's not calling Peter Satan. The, the, the better translation there, instead of Satan, is accuser. What does the accuser do? Well, I mean, he accuses. He, he tries to frustrate the plans of God go back to Jesus being tempted in the, in, in the desert for 40 days. What is he trying to do? He's trying to get Jesus to take a shortcut to power and glory without having to be obedient and go toward the cross. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, what you are doing is the same thing that the enemy does, that, who is positioned against the plans of God. He says, you need to get behind me and get out of my way because there's a pathway of obedience in front of me and I'm going down it. So get out of my way. Because you're thinking like a man, I'm thinking like God, and guess who's gonna win? Guess who's gonna win here? So when he tells Peter to get behind him, in one sense he's saying, like, get out of my way, but I think he's also inviting him to say, Hey, how about like literally follow me? So the next passage talks about, we'll get into it next week. I think he's saying, No, get get behind me. 
get behind the plans of God being like fleshed out and worked out right here in your midst. Get on board with what's happening here. I may not be the Messiah that you want, but I am the Messiah that you need. All this would happen only after he suffered and died and was raised again. And when he died, he took sin to the grave with him. And when God rose him from the dead, sin stayed there. So all of this, had this is the way that it had to go. And as Mark's gospel unfolds, we'll see more and more why that's the case. So they were seeing, but they weren't seeing clearly. They weren't seeing clearly, at least not yet. So a couple of couple of takeaways real quick. Much like the disciples, we can we can also be frustrated because our expectations are unmet. And if that's where you are, if you're sitting here today and you're like, yeah, that, that kind of describes what I've, where I've been lately, uh, you need to know that you're not by yourself. Um, it's easy to get frustrated when expectations aren't met or when you disagree about something or whatever. We can also end up setting our minds on the things of man instead of the things of God. And usually when, when we're frustrated because our expectations aren't met, it's because we are, we have like kind of those blinders on, you know, and we're just seeing things like from a very like human earthly perspective. And so if you are frustrated, perhaps, perhaps you've had tunnel vision in a way that you need God to, to, to flip that around. You know, he says you're, you're, you're thinking like a man instead of God and well, then you can also think like God instead of man. Like it's possible for him to give you that insight. Because the thing is, a lot like the blind man and the disciples, we, we learn in stages. Like it's very, it's very normal for us to come to know Christ and we see him, we, see, we know that he's beautiful, the gospel is beautiful, but it's blurry. And the longer you walk with him, like it's like a... It's like like binoculars that are like slowly coming into focus. The longer you walk with them, the more the more sharp things get. The the more like the the colors begin to come together, and the more you see what's happening. Um, understand that that as you are going through some of these frustrating seasons, these frustrating situations, these disappointments, um, God has a way of using those to sharpen your focus. I think it, I think, the, and I think those in the room who have walked with the Lord for a long time would agree with that. That that you you emerge from these times with a with a deeper love and a and a sharper understanding of of who He is and who you are. After you've been through these difficult like wrestling matches, these these like times of rebuke. You know, it's interesting that Peter, when he retells the story to Mark, he could have left this part out. Would you leave out the part where God called you Satan? <laughs> yeah. But he doesn't. I was listening to a sermon this week that I, that talks about when you um, when you look at Matthew's version, whenever Peter says you are the Christ, and that's when Jesus gives him this speech of like, uh, and and on on you I'm going to build my church. Like has this huge edifying speech to Peter. That's in Matthew's version. Why isn't it here? To Peter, I almost wonder if like the more transformative moment was was Jesus pushing back at him. 
and saying, hey, you need to get behind me. Get out of my way. Stop thinking like a man. Start thinking like God. I wonder if for him that was like the moment when something shifted. And that's why he told Mark, be sure to put this in there, even though it makes me look terrible. So we also learn to see in stages. So understand that the things that we're going through, they will bring clarity. They will bring depth as we grow and as we mature. Sometimes we need to get out of his way and just let him be to us who we need him to be. I think that's hard, you know. Uh, I I don't know where, like where this, like if this is like on a TV show or a movie or something like that, but in my head, somewhere I've seen someone make a plea of like, "Just, just let me love you, you know. And I feel like sometimes God's like, quit fighting me and just let me be to you everything you need me to be. Andrew Murray, in, in his, his, his book on uh, John 15, he talks about the, the vine and the branches. And one of the lines in there, he says, he says, Today, the vine will be everything that a branch needs it to be. And you, today, everything, like God will be to you everything you need him to be today. I think sometimes we just have to get out of his way. And see this as, as love because the, the driving force behind Jesus' <clears throat> suffering and death and resurrection, all of that is love. He says, the best way that I can love my people is to die for them. It's not becoming a mil- powerful military messiah that overthrows Rome and restores Israel and all this kind of stuff. And like to, to all this, that's not the way that I love my people. The way I love them is to die for them and take care of what's really killing you. So get out of my way. Let me love you. Follow me into the depths of this thing and see what happens. So sometimes we just got to relax and let him love us. I think that's a part of what the takeaway is from this this text. And we see these three stories together. We see a, a, a man who's blind and his sight is restored in stages. We see these disciples who... We are learning to see Jesus for who he is in stages. And then we're here wrestling with him sometimes, learning from him, but getting behind him so that he can love us. There's a lot of connections that are in there for us to this text. (coughs) Excuse me. So I don't know where it meets you, though. You might not be in a place where you're frustrated with God or um, any of those kinds of things that perhaps, um, you know, that might not be where you are, and that's great. I don't want to assume that everyone in here is, like, mad at God right now. But I bet there are some people who are. Maybe you're in the middle of it. Maybe you're coming out of it. Maybe you're heading into it. Um, Perhaps you... Maybe the, maybe it's about those blinders being on. Maybe it's about um, thinking like, too much like man, too much like God. There's so many places you can find yourself in here. That's what I love about, uh, one of my favorite things about getting to preach and teach from one text is that one text, you would think there's like one point. And a lot of times there is one point, but it can have 250 different applications across the room because God is doing something unique in every life. 
So whatever he is doing in your life, um, whether it's through this text or through something else, it becomes a matter of stewardship for us. And so no matter where you are, though, you just be blessed by the reminder that he is, he is for you what you need him to be. If right now he's not being what you want him to be, okay. You need to process that and, and deal with that in a healthy way. But we have to all understand there's this bigger narrative happening. That everything that you need him to be, he will be for you and is being for you. And perhaps we just need to get out of his way and let him love us. Um, let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father, your uh, your plans uh, are so they're so beautiful. Sometimes they're mysterious. And I'm sure these disciples were uh, were just constantly baffled, trying to figure things out. And even here, they they think they have it figured out. And he's like, "Well, not kind of yes, yes, and no." And I ask, just ask that you would meet us where we are in that, in that coming into focus, in that seeing clearly process that we're all in. That you'd help us to get out of your way and help us to not think like humans, but to think like you and recognize that, uh, Whatever is going on, you are being to us what we need you to be in ways that are obvious and in ways that are subtle. That you are loving us well, just like you're loving them well. If there's anyone here that's, that kind of can really identify with Peter and just being like frustrated in that way, I pray that you would encourage them this morning. You just remind them that... Um, that you know what you're doing and that you care about them and love them. That there is a bigger narrative being being written. And so whatever is going on uh, with all of us this morning, God, I'm thankful to know that you are deeply invested in every life that's here. Far more invested than we realize a lot of the time and that you care about what's going on with us. And I pray as these next few moments as we kind of process a little bit before before we dismiss and kind of get into whatever whatever else the day holds may we be present in this room uh, during this time and steward this well we love you we pray this in your name amen so uh, we we kind of do a response time here that's um to give options because different personalities, different things going on, people have different different needs, and so um, here are, here's kind of what's going to happen when we stand up in a minute. We're gonna first of all we're gonna sing, and uh, we're gonna start off with uh, just a really simple old hymn that's just beautiful. And, uh, so they'll be singing if that is helpful for you. Uh, if you want to come and pray, these steps will be open. You may see people come and kneeling and praying, and you can join someone or come on your own. Doesn't matter. We'll have some uh, of our elders and staff on the front row that would love to pray with you, um, especially if you're if you're wrestling with like following Jesus for the first time. Like you're like I'm, I don't really know what that means, but I want to talk more about it. Uh, you don't have to leave here without having that those questions answered. Um, we have two communion stations that are that are uh, here and here, 
And um, you're welcome in our communion lines. We do this every week. Uh, you take the bread and you dip it yourself and you take it. And they're going to they're gonna tell you the blood of Christ poured out for you, the body of Christ broken for you. Um, and as they say that over and over and over, it's this reminder that, that Jesus knew what he was doing in the midst of this rebuke. As Peter is sitting here, like uh, getting on to him about his understanding of the Messiah, Jesus is, is, is thinking the whole time about moments like this. Like, I know what I'm doing. You get behind me. Let me love you. And so we have this tangible reminder of how he has loved us. Um, you're welcome in our lines. You don't have to be a member here of this church. If, if you want what Jesus is offering to you in his grace, and you come on. So people will be moving around the room, and that's just a kind of a normal thing here. Because we want to let you respond in ways that you connect with the most. So you can do one, you can do all three. Whatever you want to do is fine. But let's stand together, and, and let's, let's give him these moments that we have. Uh, moments of peace, moments of stillness. Uh, life has a lot of craziness to it, and so let's enjoy this time together.